Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Afterwork Drinks, the weekly catch-up between best friends and magazine editors, Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill, which you get to join in on. Lucky you. Lucky you. You get to pop into our drinks. I am drinking. Have a listen. Hang out with us. I'm drinking water. Because what's the <laughs> time in London? eight in the morning. <laughs> but good news, we're going to be on the same time zones as of next week. Yes, and because not of because some very bad news. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a silver lining. We'll both be drinking alcohol unless I'm not allowed any in quarantine. Yeah, so Grace is heading home to Perth for a surprise trip. Um, for like know, six. My poor mum is yeah. My mum is sick and has to go into some very hectic surgery. So we're sending our love to Coral. Coral, our biggest fan. We love you. Our biggest fan. She'll be listening. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, so I'm going home. Yeah, because people would probably think that that would mean I was heading back to London, which I actually was. But now that you're going to be in Perth, I think I might chill here for a little bit longer and then head back with you or just before you. Yeah, so the the quarantine is so hectic and it's just funny in England and it makes sense because Australia has like no cases and England has just so many, just so, so, so many. Um, quarantining in England is just like a super chill thing where you just enforce it yourself at home and um, you get fined a hundred pounds if you don't do it. And in Australia, it's like full blown army tank guards at your door people deliver your food in a hazmat suit you're not allowed to walk outside the hotel room for fresh air for 14 days it's just gonna be that's so intense so i'm sure new zealand wasn't even that intense like I, i'm certain you could still go for walks around outside i'm so glad i missed that i missed it by about a, a day and i got to quarantine by the beach so a guy in perth tried to escape through the fire exit to buzz his girlfriend and now he's in jail for three months 
Oh my god, it's so intense. I know. So no popping out for a bus, no popping out for a Siggy, no popping out for an Uber Eats. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's going to be hell- I have no like, idea. horrible. Um, okay, so I guess we should firstly start off by mentioning something we've been working on for like a month now, and that is that we, well, basically we were relaunching our website. We'd always planned to do that for a while, um, and then we, with all of the Black Lives Matter movement and we started re- we started reassessing how what we could actually do to help and what we could tangibly do to be better allies. So we thought that we would offer our services to mentor young aspiring black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ, just minority groups in Australia and New Zealand because the industry is so famously whitewashed, it is crazy. Um And then we just thought we could make it a bit bigger and better. So we asked 20 of our journalist friends and colleagues and former bosses and people who we know in the industry to jump in with us. And we're all going to mentor aspiring writers and then we're going to publish their work and pay them for it on our new website. So that's just launched. We're just looking for submissions now. Um, and it's everything from think pieces to personal essays to op-eds to profiles, kind of anything and everything, really. Yes. So we wanted this to be a kind of space where you could write the story that you wish you'd seen represented in the mainstream media um, or just something you're super passionate about. It really doesn't have to be um, super political. It doesn't have to be super serious or super tied to your identity it can literally just be as simple as a show you think is crazy underrated or an experience that you've had that you want to write about or um your experience with beauty or your experience with fashion yeah and there was a little bit of confusion when we announced it so we wrote uh that we're looking for aspiring BIPOC or LGBTQ plus writers but we're also looking for emerging writers so writers who have had work published before but who still would love some guidance from Uh, an industry insider to give them help with publishing an amazing piece. And basically all of these mentors who have signed on to give their time for free are going to, you know, coach you one-on-one, answer all your questions, help you write the perfect piece, edit the piece back and forth with you. um, And will be like an ongoing kind of go-to person in your career, which is so cool. I wish I had more of a mentor guide when I was younger. Yeah, so you'll get partnered with a mentor and you also get paid $200, which is pretty cool. So we're really excited. Please send in emails. There's no wrong answer. Shoot through your pitches to submissions at afterworkdrinks.net and we will get the ball rolling. So yay. Yeah, yay. I'm excited about it. So onto some big news that blew up our Facebook group this week is the fact that there is a normal people slash flea bag collaboration in the works that's so amazing so i saw that there were two extra episodes coming of normal people and i thought that's gonna be really shit then i realized it was for charity and i thought that's nice and then i saw freaking hot priest with paul mescal andrew scott and paul mescal and i thought wow (laughs) isn't that sexy so in, they do this in the uk quite a lot i'm just checking the charity quickly that they do it yes they did it for love actually Um, Yeah, I can't find the charity, but, you know, um, for charity. So from what I've read, I'm actually not 100% sure Phoebe's going to be in it. But Hot Priest is 
Connell from Normal People is going to go to Hot Priest in a confessional and talk to him about Marianne, and then Hot Priest will talk about Fleabag. Oh, heaven. Yeah, and I think Phoebe is writing it. Amazing. So it's going to be really iconic, and I am super excited. And that's kind of all there is to say about it, but I will literally, like, drain my bank account to make this project happen. Same, and I love so much that they put up a – we had an actual – fan of the podcast send that photo of Paul Miscal and Andrew Scott and it just says donate and I was like I have no fucking idea what they're talking about but I will donate all of my like organs and children and skincare products anything anything so that's a exciting thing on the horizon I feel like these things don't come out to like December so we might have to wait for a while yes Second piece of information that I'm excited about this week is that Timothy Chal- people were trying to cancel Timothy Chalamet for bussing Isa Gonzalez in Carbo. Isa Gonzalez. Which is like such an iconic sentence. Yes. Isa Gonzalez is everywhere. Yeah. She pops up all over the show. She used to date Josh Duhamel. Really? Yeah. She can do much better than him. It, it's funny seeing Timothy Chalamet with her because she's but I don't know how to say this properly because she's just like obviously a tiny hot babe. But then Timothy Chalamet is just such a child. He literally looks like he's about 12 years old. Don't you reckon? Yeah, I know. I know. It's that um, – it was just making me laugh so much, the photos of them, because I was I was like, this is just the exact boy that I would have sold my left arm for when I was 20. You know what I mean? Just gangly teen who um, will just treat you like shit and never call you again. Yeah. I was like, this is it. Like, This was just my type in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I know. It is funny seeing pictures of them together because he looks so young. But the age gap, I think, is only like five or six years. And everyone's trying to cancel him because he's having fun in the pandemic. There was an amazing tweet that said something like, wow, okay, Tim used to support you, but like going and having sex in Cabo when there's a Black Lives Matter movement and Yemen. <laughs> I don't know if I am that into – so I don't think I support this relationship that much. Yeah, it's it feels it feels random. So Isa Gonzalez was in Baby Driver yes. and she was getting this, like, insane amount of hype around it, around her. And then when I saw the movie, she's in it, honestly, for less than <laughs> – She's just really hot. She's like screen. Emily Ratajkowski when she was in Blurred Lines and everyone literally just lost the plot. She's just, just so hot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Timmy, but I think that who he portrays in Lady Bird, to me at least, is just who he is behind the scenes. So I feel like I'm not very invested either way with whoever he's dating. I don't reckon. Really? I don't reckon. I reckon he... What about his actions? I think he... What, being with Isaac Gonzalez and Carvo? Yeah. (laughs) I think that he isn't like that. I think he's so stoked on her. I don't know, maybe. I just so picture sure. him being this I little nerdy like, boy. I just, yeah, but I think he, I think he knows. Like even Harry Styles is just like a little nerdy boy. Yeah. Am I just so naive? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Harry Styles doesn't even understand that he's good looking. He's just a nice bloke. I'm tricked by the fuck boys. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Like I have a much higher um, radar for them. So I've started watching Chewing Gum. 
amazing. What did you think? I really like it. I think you amped it up quite a lot, but I did really like it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it is. It's just like a dumb comedy, but I feel, I feel like yeah. it's um, Michaela Cole's crushing. Yes. Yeah. And if so, you don't understand what that Fle- means. Phoebe, <laughs> which is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's first show before Fleabag, uh, which is good and funny. But yeah, I agree. Crashing's just like a show. And Fleabag is obviously Fleabag. Um, and Michaela Cole wrote, directed and starred, like the same as Phoebe in this show, Chewing Gum, which is pretty funny. And then you love I May Destroy You, right? Yeah, it's um, – I watched – the first six episodes because they're still coming out and it's a pretty heavy watch to be honest um it's deals with a sexual assault actually deals with multiple sexual assaults so it will be very um triggering to a lot of listeners um but it's just it's it's literally like a work of genius it's just such a clever examination of um like trauma and female friendship such a recurring theme through the whole thing is about how women are each other's support network through these things and how you literally can't get through this stuff without other women. And then um, just the gray areas around sexual encounters from things that you kind of look back on and are like, I don't know if I really wanted to do that. Like there's a character who has a threesome and she's kind of drunk, but not super drunk. She's consensual. It's a completely consensual encounter, but you can just tell she just feels a bit off about it. And then it just covers the whole remit of that kind of discussion. It's the I've never seen that topic tackled in such a um, thoughtful, amazing, intelligent way before. It's just incredible. That's so great. And does she star in that as well? Yeah, so she's the lead in it and she um, wrote it and directed it as well. And it just has really cool music and um, looks amazing too. I was talking to a friend as we were watching it and we were talking about how it's funny, like the show, all the shows that we are kind of obsessed with, star the person who wrote and directed them. So mm. Insecure, Issa Rae created the whole thing and is the main character. Fleabag, Phoebe Waller Ridge created the whole thing and is the main character. And Chewing Gum and I May Destroy You, Michaela Cole created the whole thing and is the main character. Yeah, I think it's just, um, you know young women now have such a specific worldview and now they're being given scope to turn that into art or whatever. And um, I think that, yeah, I feel like you kind of need that because I think that I just think about all the stuff that we've watched and all the stuff we watched going growing up, all the TV shows we watched, like Gossip Girl and the OC and everything. We just didn't have someone our age writing about our actual experiences it was all kind of middle-aged dudes guessing what teenagers got up to in their spare time yeah so we're so lucky now. imagine a middle-aged man guessing that women are just wanking to an obama speech 24 7 that's what i mean it's like those little tiny details of actually being a woman of actually being that age that just make these things resonate so much there's the smallest off the cuff things or jokes or way people say things or where they make fun of something that's so serious and probably shouldn't be made fun of or whatever that's just yeah yeah, it's amazing well we fucking stand michaela cole you heard it here first remember when we did an episode on phoebe willow bridge yes right before she blew up Uh. we found her 
We were on her first, but not as quick as my mum, Coral, who I was like talking to her about Fleabag and she said she'd seen the live show when it was a tiny touring production in Perth three years before or something. I was like, why are you so across Fleabag? So good, Coral. (laughs) I love that so much. My mum has no idea about anything. She still doesn't even know how to play our podcast. (laughs) So she'll never hear this to find out. I love Donna. She's been on our podcast. She didn't know that. I forgot to tell her until I, did, until I went to Wellington recently. And I was like, Mum, you're on the podcast swearing at everyone when you're drunk. <laughs> Bloody hell. My recommendation for you this week, which I know you've actually started watching, so it's just both of ours, is um, Disclosure, which is a new Netflix documentary. Um, it is all about the trans experience and how it's represented on film and TV. And it's loads of incredible trans men and women talking about the first time they saw a trans person represented on TV or in movies and how fucked up, like, every single example was. Um, And it was just so – it just packaged up this whole huge experience into such an easy-to-understand and enjoyable and upsetting um, documentary. There's been so many things in movies, like – Silence of the Lambs, Psycho. Um, I can't think of another one now, but there are so many movies <laughs> where the crazy villain is a cross-dresser or is a man who dresses as a woman or a woman who dresses as a man. It's always used in movies as a sign of duplicity or lying or um, someone who can't be trusted or someone who's evil or someone who's weird. Like That's always the way it's re- been represented. Or the part I'm up to is where there'll always be extras in shows like CSI or whatever where they just get murdered Mm. in a hate crime. And they talked about how, which just made me feel so sick, um, how common the trope in kind of kids' comedy movies is that the main character, like, kisses someone or makes out with someone and then finds out that they're actually a man and then throws up or, like, brushes their mouth out or feels sick or... And they, t- they showed a scene from Ace Ventura, which I've never seen, where Jim Carrey's character realizes someone that he made out with is actually a man. And there's like this gratuitous two minute long scene where he's like got his head in the toilet and is scrubbing it with different brushes and throwing up and stuff. And then they showed oh how God. that's been a trope in so many shows. And then there was this trans man, Zeke Smith, who was like, that was my favorite movie as a kid. And so I would rewatch it in college when I felt like I didn't belong while I was transitioning. And then I would realize that I had watched that scene over and over as a kid, which was part of the reason that made transitioning so hard for me to deal with mentally, you know? And even how they brought up scenes. So they brought up movies like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and Big Mama's House and how cross-dressing was fine and really comical and you can dress as a woman and still look after your kids and that's normal. Even though I saw Mrs. Doubtfire recently and I was like, that's quite problematic. But then as soon as it's an actual trans person, then it's not okay anymore. It's just, it's crazy how much media influences the way we think and we don't even realize it until you start actually assessing the media that you are consuming on a daily basis when all of when this whole movement kind of kicked off again with black lives matter and um everyone assessing you know how to be anti-racist i was like it's nuts that every single day you would just kind of watch the same shows with all of these white people in them read the same books with all these white people i know i've talked about it before but it's just funny when you 
start to reassess the actual role that this has played in shaping your whole outlook on life. Yeah, 100%. And they said in this documentary that 80% of people have never met or don't personally know a trans person. So people are getting their entire understanding of this group of people from really troubling representations on screen. And this isn't just about trans people being underrepresented. It's about them being represented as evil and as uh, people who use gender to hurt other people is a really common trope. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the exact same argument that TERFs like JK Rowling make where they say, you know, um, if we open up uh, bathrooms to to trans women, then they're going to use that as an opportunity to hurt us. Like that rhetoric is really closely tied to the kind of diet uh, that people have grown up on in terms of how they've seen trans people represented. Like it's not a coincidence. So it's got to change, but it is changing. And I love Laverne Cox. Same. I love her so much. So moving on to someone we don't really speak about that much on this podcast, Kim Billy Kardashian. I know. So we had actually, I'd forgotten this happened because it was a couple of days ago, but it's actually a really great thing for us to talk about. So Kim posted a selfie of herself wearing um, like a corset type thing and her waist is tiny and it's kind of a mirror selfie. And Jamila Jamil reposted it a few days later and she said I, that she'd had thousands, over a thousand DMs asking her to address the fact that Kim Kardashian is promoting such an unrealistic and unhealthy body image to all of her millions and millions of young fans. And Jamila was basically like, the reason I haven't addressed this yet is not because I don't think it's problematic, but it's because the fact that all of you are no to message me and know to say, you know, why aren't you calling this out? It means that my job's kind of done because Kim Kardashian, she was like, she was basically like, because Jamila Jamil, I hadn't heard of her until she was calling out Khloe Kardashian mm. and the whole Kardashian family for diet pills and um, promoting, yeah, unrealistic body image and all of that a few years ago. But she was basically saying that she doesn't feel the need to do that anymore because her job is done if people understand that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then she kind of said that the onus isn't on Kim Kardashian because Kim Kardashian is just projecting something that's been projected onto her by years of viewing the same things. I'm so excited for us to talk about this because it's something we've ac- we actually talked about to an interview guest in an interview that's coming up soon. Um, is this idea of when women are the biggest pushes of um, unrealistic beauty standards and how you hold women accountable when they're also victims of those beauty standards to be acting in the way they are, but then they're still pushing that same narrative. Like where does the accountability lie? And it's like a chicken or the egg thing of, okay, we blame the patriarchy and not the individual person. Um, but if we also don't hold the individual person accountable, then blaming the patriarchy doesn't really mean anything because it's just a kind of pie-in-the-sky concept. I think the thing with this specifically is that Kim Kardashian, it's not like Kim Kardashian doesn't know what she's doing. 
She's had years of people calling her out for the same bullshit, for the same problematic things that she's projecting onto really young women and really young fans. And if Jamila Jamil has been doing this for three years and other people have been doing this for years, it's not like, it's just, she needs to be, I think she needs to be held accountable. She has a young daughter, as if you would want your daughter to be looking at that image and thinking that that's what you have to look like to be accepted in to society. Yes. So I, I was thinking about this because I was thinking that we have created, we are responsible for a culture in which she only becomes relevant when she does shit like this. So it's like the fact that that corset she's wearing is from the outfit she wore to the Met Gala where she got in heaps of trouble for wearing it that time. The Kardashians have this huge history of playing with beauty standards and aesthetics to shock and to get themselves in the news. So it's like if it's a quiet news day, Kim Kardashian's going to dye her hair blonde and then she's the biggest news story. Or Khloe Kardashian's revenge body and this idea of her body being something that generates uh, controversy. Or Kylie Jenner's lips and then capitalizing off that. Or um, just the whole family have basically made their entire living off playing with aesthetics and using aesthetics and beauty standards to create controversy. So I think if anything, it's like turning the lens back on us to say, why do we support that? But then it's like, if the best situation is just to not acknowledge when she does it, it seems like that's not really an option when it's someone with 150 million followers promoting a really, 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 really unhealthy image to majority young girls. It's like, well, we can't not talk about it. So they've kind of got us um, trapped. What I just don't understand about it is why do you need to be in the news for something like this when you have billions of dollars, when you're so, so, so famous? Why do you want to make headlines for doing something problematic that's potentially harming a lot of girls mental health i don't understand the payoff it reminds me of how donald trump will like instigate an actual war with iran to distract from something else yeah i'm like what's kim hiding yeah but just she just needs they just need well we know this we worked in digital publishing for that iconic two-year period where it was, you know, um, Chloe's pregnant, her husband's cheated on her, is Kylie <laughs> Kylie's pregnant? pregnant, Kylie's given birth, um, Kim Kardashian got robbed at gunpoint, like all of these, Lamar Odom overdosed. We had a string for two years of just wild Kardashian stories. And obviously I'm not saying those things didn't actually happen, but they are just master, master manipulators of the news cycle. And they pick these things, their timings on these things very, very specifically. Like we know that they had the footage of Tristan Thompson for three months and waited until the week that Chloe was going into labor to pull the trigger on it. <laughs> because that's crazy. Just... And, Ky- and Kylie's birth was announced 15 minutes before the Super Bowl or something. Like it's so strategic. But I feel strategic. like that wouldn't be a, po- wouldn't be a positive thing. <laughs> But it over it dominated it like it literally took over as the most trending thing in the world over the actual Super Bowl. So then a new another news story becomes Kardashians are more important than the Super Bowl, which then becomes this right. self perpetuating 
fucking media cycle. Whenever Kim Kardashian does these things, it's very strategic and it's on purpose. I think acting like she's not intelligent is ridiculous. And it's almost like feminism means realizing that women can be, um, which we're going to talk about again in a minute, but like is realizing that women can be shitty humans too. You know, it's like trying to absolve every individual woman of accountability and blame is not a helpful way to run feminism because women can be completely accountable for doing things that are as bad as what men do because they're just humans. <laughs> but it's just so funny how she she is studying to be a lawyer and is really arced up about prison reform and is getting literal pres- prisoners out of jail, but she still wants to post the selfie. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It just doesn't and really I get it. to me. I get that the fact that she even wants to post that is a sign that she's as much a victim to crazy beauty standards as anyone else is. But at that point, at that level of fame, and like you say, when you've been called out, this is the 25th time, you by now understand that you not being able to mentally unpack in your brain that looks on everything and that you don't want to be defined by how you look and you don't want to be forced into an unrealistic body ideal at some point as a 40 year old woman you need to realize that you are now the one who is recreating that exact culture that has fucked you up yeah a hundred percent but she would know that i think they just don't care honestly i think sometimes we psychoanalyze this and the, the end result is that they just do not care i get so like flabbergasted by stuff like this because every single time everything boils down to power and money and I can't ever fathom hurting literal people for power or money and all of it is Black Lives Matter, Mm. police brutality, Kim Kardashian posting that thing because she wants to be in the news headlines even though it might cause like 20 girls to get an eating disorder for the rest of their lives and end up in hospital. It's just... Yeah, and I just can't understand it. So I think we need to flip how we see celebrities because I think that there's this idea that celebrities choose to engage in topics, but when they don't, it's not a choice. And I think we need to start framing it as celebrities choose to engage in a topic and they choose not to engage in a topic Do you know what I mean? So if you have a celebrity that you follow and they haven't posted anything about Black Lives Matter, that's them. That's not them not choosing. That's them actively choosing not to support it. I think we assume that everyone just has a free pass to be apolitical or not have opinions on things or not care about how their behavior damages people. And if they decide to speak out about it, like Jamila Jamil, they're choosing to speak out. Whereas it's like, No, Jamila Jamil's choosing to speak out and Kim Kardashian and the rest of the Kardashian family are choosing not to speak out. They're choosing... It's like how that meme is going around that's saying Jeff Bezos chose not to end world hunger again today. And then when you see that meme, you're literally like, he could end world hunger today and he's actively not doing that. Yes. And then when you start thinking about it that way, you completely change how you see every celebrity that you engage with. Because you're saying, I love this person's work, but they've actually actively chosen not to ever speak out about X, Y, Z that I'm really passionate about, which shows to me that they don't care about those issues. So maybe they're not someone that I want to put my money behind and support. You know, it's kind of switching it that way. 
if influenced or celebrities that you like have not engaged in certain issues because they've chosen that it's not important to them. Yeah, why give them your money? Yeah. Agree. I find that so interesting. Why won't Jeff Bezos end world hunger? Because if he does, like, I can see, obviously he fucking should, but I I can see it just becoming this slippery slope of, like, the next day it'll be like, Jeff Bezos chose not to um end the crisis in Yemen, which also just do it. But then all of a sudden he'll, like, have a billion and they'll be like, he still chose not to, like, give everyone, the, you know what I mean? Still, like, I can see it, yeah. Just do one thing. Why do you need $117 billion? Like, you just don't. I would love to have his money. I'd have it for about half an hour. Oh, same, mate. It would be gone. <laughs> I'd be in debt by the end of it. I'd buy, like, yeah, I'd, like, end the Yemen crisis and world hunger and homelessness. Then I'd spend the rest, like, And I'd pay for everyone's buying... university tuitions and then buy, yes. like, a Birkin. And then I would be back down to my current status of, like... <laughs> Renting a flat Net 100. In London. <laughs> yes. You wouldn't even buy yourself a house and then you'd be like, fuck, I've spent it all. I forgot. Yeah. Um, no, totally. My, gift, my um, love language is giving, so I'd be fucked. I remember I literally used to daydream. I used to have daydreams that I won the lottery and I was like, Grace, guess what? We're going to Chanel. Oh, <laughs> you little Aww. angel. You were stoked. I would be one of those people that won the lottery and was just like really anxious about everyone only being friends with me for my money and would be unable to relax and would actually be happier if I hadn't won the lottery. Yeah, you'd be like, Izzy, I know you're a fucking user. And I'd be like, just take the money and don't talk to me again. I know that's all you're here for. <laughs> I'd be like, I actually just want to record the new episode. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But fine. Anyway, moving on to, I always like lean to you for the segues, but I can take this one on my own. Do it, um, Grace. <laughs> so this is a semi-related topic, but there was this amazing piece that Izzy found in the Atlantic this week about the death of the girl boss, and it was actually based off a Medium article that was about the same thing. Um, there's so many amazing quotes in this article and I won't bore you by reading them all out, but it's basically about how in kind of 2014, this whole girl boss phenomenon, starting with Sophia uh, Amoruso. Yeah. Sophia Amoruso from Nasty Gal, who wrote the book, hashtag girl boss, um, how it launched this movement that then encapsulated, you know, everyone like Emily Vice at Glossier and um, Away Suitcases and Thinks and 
Uh, the Wing with Audrey Gelman. Everyone Poe, who works at... What's that fucking thing? Everyone who works at Arbonne. Oh, yeah, Arbonne. Like, just this whole movement of what are now, we're realising, really problematic brands that focused on these young millennial go-getter um, female CEOs. I mean, kind of Sheryl Sandberg as well with her lean-in thing. It just became this very huge movement that coincided with hustle culture and being crazily ambitious and working, you know, 100-hour weeks and constantly travelling and whatnot. And I think that we all obviously really bought into that. And now 2020 seems like the year where that's just died. Like, all of those founders have been ousted, pretty much. (laughs) For being horrible and bullies and abusing people. That's the thing is, like, what girl bosses encompasses is a woman being at the top of a company like like the male white white male CEOs before them. Most of these girl bosses, if not all, are white women. Most of them got to the top by just acting like white men and treating people like shit and kind of getting there by playing a man's game. And then we all wonder why it all falls to pieces when people realize that they're, they're fucking exactly the same, if not worse. Yes. So I, I, something this piece highlighted, which was really fucking cool, is that when the girl boss movement took off in 2014, a lot of the social problems we're seeing now in the context of the girl boss dying were just starting to take off. So it was like Donald Trump was talking about running for president and Ebola broke out and everyone was scared of a global pandemic. And um, the Ferguson, uh, Michael Brown situation happened and Black Lives Matter started to spike for the first time. And now six years later, all of those issues have become like our dominating cultural conversations. And suddenly the girl boss narrative feels really kind of irrelevant and tired and not um, necessary anymore. And it's at the exact same time that we're seeing all of these CEOs who are like put on these crazy pedestals stepping down. So of so away the wing, Manrapella, um, Finks, Reformation, and Nasty Gal. There any others? Outdoor voices. Outdoor and outdoor voices have all had their female CEOs step down, if not in the last couple of weeks, in the last few months. All related to allegations of mistreatment of staff in the workplace or of being not racially inclusive. So it's kind of wild. Like we're literally watching the death of the girl boss in real time. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of worth noting that girl bosses are being cancelled at the same time that we're realizing that it's just that the the whole concept of girl bosses is literally just perpetuating the notion that if you work hard enough and if you work your ass off and if you have no work life balance that you'll get to the top. And now all of us are burning out like there's this crazy millennial burnout because all we've been looking is that whole thing of women can have it all and it's like no they actually still cannot have it all and do they want it all you know like do you this is something I've always thought about I actually pitched a story on this ages ago and I got rejected but I wanted to write a story about why why are women using the same um pathway to success as what men are using because the way that men work, successful men like bankers and lawyers and all the people that we think of as being super successful, 
famously never have time to see their kids or at work until 11 p.m., work hard, play hard, and are needing to like drink or do drugs to balance out the hecticness of their workload, don't have great relationships with their family, but make a lot of money. And I think for a lot of women, that is actually not a very attractive prospect um, in terms of a lifestyle. So I was like, why is it that every single self-help book for women that teaches them how to be successful in business is just teaching them how to integrate into this super male system? And also how basically girl bosses is just rebranding the pursuit of power as like a quest for equality. And then now that everyone's looking at kind of racism and anti-racism, it's like, that's just crazy that this whole time we've been looking at these white women climbing the ranks as just basically acting like men as this really positive thing. When now you're looking at the whole scheme of things and thinking this is like a wild thing that we're all championing. Yes, because these power structures that we have are built for certain people to succeed. That's the way they're designed because they were made by people for other people that look like them. So it's like how we talk about the nine to five working day and how it's insane that we still adhere to that because it literally just blocks women out from being able to take on certain jobs because the school hours are nine to three. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there's a mathematical like square peg in a round hole situation where women just cannot work around that you're making it impossible for them to progress at work if you're saying you can only work these hours that aren't compatible with picking up your children from school there's that element as well of every single way that these power structures are designed are also designed by white people so they're designed inherently to keep uh anyone who's an other outside of the magic circle so it's of course if you launch you know um a brand and you're a 26-year-old white female CEO and all of your friends uh, went to the same school as you and grew up in the same area as you and are all white, 26, wealthy, and they're the people you're leaning on for advice and the mentors you're talking to are 50-year-old white men and the venture capitalists you're raising money from are 50-year-old white men. Of course, you're not going to have an inclusive company that treats employees with respect because every reference point you have is fucked. (laughs) Yeah, and... Another line that I really loved from that article was for the girl boss theory of the universe to cohere, women have to be inherently good and moral creatures, or at least inherently better than men. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is every single time, well, not every single time, but yeah, not every single time, but the majority of times I've worked underneath a woman, it has been horrible. And it's this thing where I think it's literally because we're taught growing up that there's not enough room for all of us. And so you see other people's successes as an actual, yeah, as a a direct threat to you, even when it has nothing to do with you. So why are we so happy to tear other women down all the time? Why do we, literally like when I would be overseeing Marie Claire and InStyle's websites with a team of four below me, I would feel a pang of kind of, weirdness if I got an intern in who wrote an incredible story I'd feel threatened and I was like what are you talking about it's such a weird concept but we are conditioned to feel like I think we're conditioned to see women as our competition romantically and we're conditioned to see women as our competition in the workplace and it's so interesting that you say that because it's 
that's something I realized as well, working in an industry where I've never had a male boss, I've never had a male direct report, I've barely even worked with men at all. Um, mm. Women aren't these like moral creatures who, given um, the reins of power, use them in this really progressive and amazing and inclusive and all-encompassing way. That would be weird if they did, because equality is not saying that women are somehow better and non-corruptible and just genuinely perfect humans and that's why they should have power it's like no all human it's like that mary beth barone joke in her stand-up where she said you know i'm dating women now which is better probably but they're still human so they're all inherently bad (laughs) and it's like yeah that's all all humans have flaws and anyone who's attracted to positions of power man or woman is attracted to positions of power for a reason um and when you have unchecked power, you're probably going to exploit it in a bad way. Um, but that that girl boss idea is built on this idea that you should put women in charge because they're going to do a better job at it than a man. Whereas we're just realizing that like equality is simply the equality to be able to also fuck up as a boss. And it's like it's true that when women fuck up as leaders in the industry, that it's taken as yeah, it's, like, taken as a sign that maybe women aren't up to the task. It's, like, taken as a representation of the rest of the gender, women, you know? Yeah. Whereas men fail all the time in business and it's never seen as, well, but that that's why men shouldn't run companies. Yeah. But even I've been watching recently, so there's a brand called Monday Hair Care, which started in New Zealand. And admittedly, I don't know all that much about the hair industry. I don't know... Um, you know, chemical hair products and the ins and outs of everything. But basically it was started by a young woman in New Zealand and it blew up and they can't keep it on the shelves. It's uh, in supermarkets, but they kind of market it as being salon quality. And essentially they can't keep it on the shelves. It had, it blew up. It's been featured everywhere on Vogue, um, heaps of articles written about it. People are selling it on eBay for like twice the price. Oh my God. Um, and now there's this huge takedown going on where people are slamming it and slamming the founder and calling her a fraud and going nuts about it. And it kind of just feels very much like people just want to shit on someone for creating something because they want to, I don't know, people just seem to be getting so much joy out of making someone feel horrible. And it's even the same with Sporty and Rich, like with Emily Oberg. Like, yes, she said it's a different story because Emily Oberg has said some really um, damaging and controversial and um, kind of downright horrible things. But it's the same where people just want to jump on and tear down a pretty woman who's successful. Obviously, the brands should be accountable and founders should be accountable. I think that what is worth examining is internally how you feel when you see these things happen. And if you feel gleeful and happy Mm. and you jump on it and you read all the comments and you're like sending it to your friends and you're going through everything and laughing and you're like so happy that this person is being brought down a notch, why do you feel like that? And do you feel like that when you see – did you feel like that when you saw Adam Rappaport leave Bon Appetit the same way that you did when you saw Leandra Medine leave Man Repeller? And if the answer is no and you spend much more time focusing on the fallout at Man Repeller – why is that? And I think that I have a theory about it and I wrote this in my crazed like mad scientist notes on our podcast episode. We wanted to they talk about crazy. imposter syndrome and we will talk about that in more depth in a future episode. But 
I think because all women have this imposter syndrome where they feel like they don't belong in the high profile jobs that they get, that when we then see a woman who looks like us, who we can relate to, who gets the big job and then they fuck it up, it's almost like it confirms this internalized self-hatred we have inside us that we don't belong in those places. And then because it's confirming a narrative that we have in our minds, we're super attracted to it and just read about it and gratuitously get involved in it because we think, well, I'm so glad that wasn't me because if I had been made a boss, everyone would have figured out I was a fraud and everyone would have tore me down. Um, And it confirmed all these fears I have about myself. And so this is the natural order of things. We're taught that women aren't don't belong in those places and then we see women fuck up when they get in those places and then it tells us see what i thought was right and then we just suck up as much of it as possible in the super like um over the top way do what i do find a shit kind of reality is that working underneath women is generally and i'm speaking from my experience and from friends experiences much harder than working underneath a man. And I hate that that seems to be the reality, but it's kind of that thing when you're a woman working underneath another woman, it's like you have in your head that there's going to be some sort of allyship. And usually there is. There's that bonding experience that doesn't really happen if you have a male boss where you'll, I don't know, get coffees together or chat together Mm. or talk about things on the weekend together or kind of act as if you're friends. And then that switch flips so quickly and they start treating you a completely different way or they start being kind of passive aggressive. Or I just think that it's really horrible that I can pinpoint exact differences between mine and my friends' experiences working underneath women to working underneath men. And with men, it's usually, if you've done something wrong, they'll tell you you've done something wrong, you rectify it and it's fine. And with women, it's like this kind of overt you walk into the office one day and they say hi to you a weird way and don't look you in the eye. And suddenly you feel horrible all day. Like the sick feeling in your stomach. This happened to me so many times. I literally would go into work and I would walk up to my desk and look at my boss and know straight away if it was going to be a good day or a bad day. Because she just decided that she didn't like me that day. Yeah. And I just think that that's a really shit reality. And I wish it wasn't that way. And I obviously know that we're conditioned to feel that way. And it's the same kind of thing as the Kim K thing, I guess, where you can't blame them solely because that's probably happened to them. But it's shit. Yeah, exactly. It becomes a system in, like, perpetuity. And I think as well, I don't know if I'm talking total shit here, but, you know, like, men have had the run of business for hundreds and hundreds of years they set up the system it's their complete space of comfort um and women have like realistically only properly been in the workplace from like the 70s onwards and even then it's crazy which is crazy and then that's only really become super common probably in the last 30 years 30 40 years and so women just I think women just don't have the same – God, I don't know how to say this properly, but we just haven't had the same amount of time to, like, learn how to um, take our ways of communicating, which are very different to the way men communicate. I see the way Zach talks to his friends and I'm like, are you guys angry at each other? They'll just be like, no, I'm not doing this, full stop, blah, 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 blah. Like, men just talk to each other in this really abrupt way and women are such empath- empaths that – 
we are constantly checking in and reading into like X's and smiley faces and blah, 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 and trying to make sure that each other is feeling okay. We haven't really maybe figured out how to take that communication style that we have and like move it into a professional environment in the most Maybe I'll cut this because I don't know if it really makes sense. No, do, because do you what, get what I'm saying. What I was gonna, yeah, and what I was gonna say off the back of that is it's like what you explained with abolishing the police. I don't know how we got back here, but with abolishing the the U.S. police force is it's like not that long ago that you can trace back the literal direct lines. If it's only been around since whatever time it's been around, there's been like four different generations of cops in there all learning from each other. And it's the same with women in the workforce. We're learning from the first women who were ever in the workforce because it wasn't that long ago. And Yeah, and God knows the battles that they had to fight, you know what I mean, that completely informed their experiences of how they led, you know. You go back one editor, then two editors ago. I can't even imagine what it would have been like starting in the industry in the, like, 80s or 90s. It would Mm. have been absolutely horrible in terms of the male bosses that you had to deal with. Um, and that's obviously completely influencing the way that people run their teams now, which influences how, like, it just has the trickle-down effect. You're totally right. Um, and this is, the, this is the conversation, literally, if we want a proper revolution, which I guess we do now because we're revolutionists, <laughs> yes, is that it's about... Abolish the monarchy. Yeah, it's police. about abolishing these old school power structures because they don't fit in our society anymore. Yeah, and I'm really glad that this whole concept of girl bosses has been torn down because it's just essentially being like the it's it's like the girl who says I get along with guys better than girls, right yeah. into the top, <laughs> which is the worst thing in the world. It reminds me of this episode of Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Um, revisionist history and the first episode was about tokenism and he interviewed Julia Gillard and he was talking about how tokenism often sets movements back because it's it's like you promote and publicize a handful of like seven or eight women running successful companies and it gives the illusion that women now have equality in the workplace because they're so publicized and it feels like there's so many that it looks like a Band-Aid cover for sexism in business because you're like, well, no, look at blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. It's like how we say, well, no, we had a female prime minister, so we're not sexist. It's kind of, it sets back the conversation because people just use it to shut you up. But there hasn't been any effective change. It's just been publicizing a bunch of things to shut the women up so they think that equality has happened and it's not actually effectively changing anything. Yeah, that's so crazy. So... Girl bosses are done. Sorry, Arbon. You're gonna have to get a new hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was always like a bit of a patronizing term. Now I think about it. I never, ever used that term in my entire life. Neither. But just the whole concept is just so like, oh, girl boss. Like, haha. It's like someone no, said. Some, one of the um, one of the whoever the hell. One of these CEOs that's now been fired called herself a she-eo. I've heard that too. Bad. That's, yeah. Bad well, we've created this whole micro-industry of, like, hashtag girl boss stuff. You know what I mean? Like, paid ticketed events for panel discussions and um, mentoring programs and podcasts and all of this stuff. It's become such its own little ecosystem. Um, 
And obviously we're not saying that like mentoring people to do better in business is a bad idea, but it's just really interesting that it just suddenly feels really fucking irrelevant. Things are moving at such a fast speed where like suddenly something you've known your whole life, such as the police, um, <laughs> the monarchy, <laughs> oh, like <laughs> everything's changing. But it's right. I feel like we've all just woken up and we're like, why do we do all this random shit? Like, <laughs> I know. And I just wish that what I wish for in a upcoming future is that women would feel like, because even this is what we've been speaking to our guests about is Madeline Madden said it so perfectly last week where she said, for women, it's about getting a seat at the table. Mm. And for indigenous women, it's about getting a foot in the door. And I think that's so necessary because we as women think that there's only one seat at the table for us. So oftentimes we do see others as competition um, and oftentimes we don't help each other and we don't support each other. And I just... And it's to do as well with that. that um, and I wish it would stop. <laughs> Mother Teresa over here. Yeah, but it is, it's like we've talked to... I just got off the phone with a designer for a story and we were talking to Georgia from Georgia Alice about this too. How so many fashion designers that I speak to now are like, I, this past six months has changed my life because I don't want to run a, a brand. I don't care about making lots of money if it means that I am working to such a level that I'm not even proud of the work that I'm doing, that I feel absolutely panicked, rushed all the time. I have no space for creativity. I would literally rather have one collection a year or two collections a year and lose out on a bunch of money and that mean that I can't be stocked at certain places um, and work with my friends who are also designers and not treat like them like competitors and just create, um, you know, 50 things and make a bit of money that's enough for me to live off but enjoy my life and know I'm not polluting the planet and know I'm doing something that I'm proud of and knowing that everyone's working collaboratively together. I think that whole mm. – obs- I think the girl boss thing was so related to – this idea that you had to be running at 150% every minute of every day, otherwise you were going to trip up and fail and people were going to pass you. And now it's like ev- the metaphor is that everyone's like slowing down to make sure everyone can catch up and we can do this, like turn this crazy run into like a nice slow walk around the harbour together. Yeah, I love that. Because, yeah, because that's what it is. It's like slowing down to let other people catch up because you got such a massive head start that you're running, 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 looking to either side of you to see who was trying to, like, who was about to pass you. And if you just completely flip the narrative to being like, I don't care. Like, let's just all fucking chill. No one's beating anyone else. Everyone has something to offer. And it's not, if you do well, that says something about me. I think the attitude is like, if someone sees someone do well, they think that that yes. represents like a flaw yeah. in them. Or it's an Even attack when on it has nothing success. to do with me. Even when it literally has nothing to do with me, I think of it as an attack on me personally. Like if someone graduates from medicine, I'm like, oh, I'm obviously dumb. Yeah, same. I'll be like Googling degrees and I'm like, I'm going to go back to university. What am I, an idiot? Yeah, it's so <laughs> stupid. I just, yeah. Okay, we cool, need to wrap this up. Chat. We've been talking for yeah. fucking ages. Fucking, fucking ages. <laughs> I keep getting told I have an Australian accent over here in New Zealand. Interesting. It's because when I talk to you, I pick up on some of your slang. Right, my isms. Um, Okay, cool. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you on Saturday for another 
after work drinks with and next time I talk to you we'll be in down under can't believe that I know neither can I wish me luck (laughs) on my fucking horrendous 40-hour trek (laughs) yeah it's been just absolutely crazy see you there see you there rate review and subscribe bye bye and share our share our mentorship program bye (laughs) please do that Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.